Hi, welcome back to this week's Be A Better Ally podcast. On this week, I am humbled and honored to have guest Kathleen Nagley on. Kathleen is currently the head of school at the International School of Helsinki. She is also the commissioner of the New England Association of Schools and Colleges, that's NIASC, uh, the Commission of International Education, and she is also the chair of the board of directors for CISA, that's Central and Eastern European Schools Association. Kathleen Nagley is also a keynote speaker. Uh, I'm going to link to some of the work that is documented on YouTube so that you can watch her speak in live. She's an amazing speaker. She is also an executive coach, and she is also a personal trainer. I think you're really going to enjoy the authentic approach to leadership that Kathleen Nagley is going to share with us here on the podcast um, and that has been sort of the cornerstone, I I think, of her career. So if you are unfamiliar with Kathleen Nagley's work, you are in for a treat today. Well, I'm I'm very lucky at this stage of my career that I am, maybe I'm getting a global voice that I never had before. And I I see this as a great privilege um, and, maybe a mandate to finally get out what I've been trying to say to educators for the last 30 years, that much of what we've been doing in schools um, has been, I think, harmful to young people. And much of my work has been about protecting the lives of young people from adults, which is quite sad to say, but often quite true that social norms, rules, dress codes, many other, many other things have made the lives of students quite miserable and um, sometimes traumatic or, or damaging for, for, for many years to come. So I'm trying to create a world for students and trying to have a voice that is to allow students to become who they were always meant to be in a safe way. And that's kind of what I've been trying to do for the last few years, especially because I've been, been, giving a, been given a larger voice, a larger opportunity for that voice. I'm so happy to hear someone you know, in a position of, of power kind of feel that way and, and voice that as frankly as you have. That's it's very, very powerful. And I'm guessing um, in part, that's why the upcoming CISA event inclusive, challenged, engaged um, is sort of the, the focus, but I'm guessing, and perhaps I'm wrong, that that's you know, a team that's decided to give some priority to that. And I'm, I'm just wondering if you could speak to that conversation and how CISA decided, yes, let's put a spotlight on this idea. Well, um, CISA allows for the school that's hosting each year to set the theme. and. Uh, um, in this past year at the International School of Helsinki, we, just, we had a strategic planning process um, with our team and with our community. And what came out about what we wanted to be and who we, we thought we also are is that these were our strengths to be inclusive, challenging, engaged. And it's, it's my duty to make sure that those ideas really um, come to reality and it's not just lip service to such ideas. 
And um, I was very lucky that the conference would come to Helsinki um, this past year. It wasn't supposed to. It was actually going to be in Vienna, but there was too many bookings um, in hotels and they needed a spot quickly. And I raised my hand. I said, Let, let's bring it to Helsinki. And because of that, we were able to set the theme. So we took our new mission and decided, what if we created this incredible conference where we could bring people around the world and talk about these topics and how we can really truly push education to the next place, really abandon old ideas about what's important in schools. And with that, we believe there, there are some catalysts that go along with this, the, the ideas of well-being, autonomy, um, belonging. Uh, these, are, these are other pieces we see are, are what we should lead a school with and what we should lead education with in this next, this next era. So we were, we're very honored and lucky to have the opportunity to um, set the theme and bring in people who believe in these ideas and are showing us the way as how to move forward. And I'm just wondering for people who might be listening, who are curious about that event, um, how they might be able to just sort of tap into it or hear more about it when it's over or as it's going on. Is there what, what's happening? Yeah, with so right, there's a, a conference was website, cesaconference.com. CESA is C-E-E-S-A. It stands for the Central and Eastern European Schools Association. Um, so I think that's probably the first place. Um, and I think you'll see that those who are um, at the conference presenting on certain topics are incredibly um, interested in working with other, other educators around the world. Um, and I think if you were to reach out to any of those people, you would find that they want to talk about um, these topics that they believe in and uh, want to um, share with, with, the, with the planet of educators out there who also understand the, the great importance of social and emotional well-being, truly. My experience has always been it's the school culture that really dictates what that experience is going to be like um, for the teacher. Uh, and there are a lot of conversations that I hear about that tension between are we staying true to our school mission? Are we trying to be respectful to the host country? And uh, you know, I, I hear this not just if you are somebody who is, is queer, but also if you're doing education with students or you're celebrating pride as a school, uh, that question of, well, is this disrespectful somehow to the host country? So I'm wondering as a school leader, what advice you might have when it comes to juggling both your school, local context, um, the host country, as well as the vision and mission for your school that you're also trying to achieve? I think there's, as you, as you noted, there's many complexities to it. At the moment, I'm in Finland, which is a, a very generally speaking, a very progressive country. Um, and topics such as queer inclusion, um, gender studies, already show up in the national curriculum in Finland uh, in a very um, progressive way. Um, what I think is one of the issues you find in school and as a school leader is um, that culture that you mentioned in the school is highly important. Um, the culture um, of how, how we treat students, again, sometimes has been influenced by very strange forces in the school community and 
and it takes a long time to move them um, in a certain direction. I, th I think international schools in general tend to be conservative, conservative places. Um, we have many different cultures in the schools. So I, I often see the pressure, there's two, I think there's, depending where you are, the pressure can be outside externally, the pressure can be internally, sometimes from the, the community. So in my current school, I always say I had from Saudis to Swedes. Mm -hmm. So it's like the, the largest range of um, viewpoints on everything about dress, uh, customs, religion, expression, many, many other pieces that go along with being an international school. What we're trying to do with our new mission, at least, because we really want to meet this mission, is we want to make sure that those who are coming to our school understand that we are taking this highly progressive stance that meets the expectations of being in Finland as well. So I have this to kind of bolster a position. And we've had some families who come in who um, have not, not been on the same page with us. And we've, we've tried to educate them as to what we believe in terms of human rights. And that, of course, you have the right to your own beliefs, but you do not have the right to impose them on someone else in the school. And for some families uh, who are highly religious or highly conservative, they have done fine at our school. They understand that we respect those from different places and different, different ideas. But no one has the right to um, make another feel that their, their rights have been denied or stepped on. Uh, we've had some families who have not been able to um, take on that, um, that mantle of human rights and you know have chosen other other schools and we're fine with that as well many schools mission statements are very wordy long-winded um, statements about you know excellence in academics and many other things and if you ask a school what is your mission statement the majority of educators in the building and the students even the board are unable to quote that mission mm. so when we moved with our new mission we wanted something that we all could understand, we, we all could believe in, we all, all knew that it was going to help us make decisions at the school. So my advice to school leaders, and I've had this conversation um, with the directors of CISA and, and in other, other, other ways as well, that um, what is true to your school, what you put in that mission, um, you can you can make happen in this little bubble of your international school, despite the country you're in. Um, and it, maybe you have to couch it in different kinds of language. And so when you're protecting your, your queer youth, for example, maybe this has to be done in a way that feels protective for the child or, or for the families or others, but you can still give signals and signs that you are open. Um, I have a little button that has a unicorn with kind of rainbow flag incorporated in it. And sometimes I'll wear that to events. And, you know, many families won't understand that button at all. But some of my queer teenagers in the school, they'll see that and they know, they know I'm an ally because I wore that silly, silly button, but it sends a strong message to others. Um, and in many, many schools, 
school leaders have very strange pressures on them from school boards, from parent communities, from the outside community. And they're often trying, trying to juggle what that all means. Uh, and I have found that many school leaders are, are quite progressive, but are unable to know how to navigate the steps of being in that school with those values. So it's a tricky business um, being in school. And I think, you know, uh, it takes bravery to, to make your values um, meet action. And that, you know, we've seen many school leaders um, fail um, in the ability to convince others of, of that. And, uh, and then they're dismissed from a school. We had in our region a few years ago, we had a director, a new director, uh, and it was his first year of directing, end up being fired because he allowed for um, a uh, gay and a lesbian um, support group to start in his school. And it overthrew his, 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 um, his leadership and he was gone within three months. Wow. So it's, you know, it's, we don't often have the protective laws of some countries that would not allow for that to happen. We're like these very, um, you know, schools within ourselves and countries and sometimes not following national laws or or sometimes feeling the pressure of national laws in new ways. In that particular case, um, this story reached the, um, the public and a minister in parliament was on the school board. And I believe that he was one of the people that forced the, the um, firing of that director. So it's, it's, it's super complicated. Um, but hopefully you have a mission that you believe in and you can use it to support the steps you want to take. And I really appreciated what you said about, you know, sometimes those statements just being, um, you know, way too long, way too wordy that nobody can even remember what they're about in the, in the first place. Yes. Uh, and I think that that is kind of a very honest and open reflection that, that more schools should, should have is, you know, how many people even could even, mention a, a line from it, let alone know what it means. Um, and that, that kind of honesty that and authenticity that you're talking about, there's a piece of that in my next question. So at, at the next CISA event, you have suggested that educators think about the following question. How truly inclusive is your school beyond nationalities? And there's, a, there's definitely a subtext in there. And I think there's a few other questions that anybody who is involved in education needs to ask themselves really before they dig into that. So I'm wondering if you would just help flesh out some of the thinking um, that, that maybe you have done in trying to think more about that question in relation to your school. So I, I guess my, my question is, what are some of the smaller questions that are really built into that broader one if a school wants to honestly reflect on how truly inclusive their school is beyond nationalities. Well, I often think that you see that we parade out on International Day, um, you know, flags and festivities and food. Um, but there's often a, a dominant culture in the school. And um, people understand if they are on the outside of that or not. So you might have 30, 40 plus nationalities in your school, but is your school run in many ways by a, a more Anglo-Saxon 
community. I've seen this before that maybe there's a large community of a particular um, nation that is not seen as respected as the others. So there's, there is strange um, elements of even how nationalities play out in a school. So that we'll say we're very inclusive, but nobody in power, no one on the PTO represents any, uh, you know, a country besides maybe the UK or the US or Australia. So there's that piece. And then there's the piece of if they believe in international mindedness, which many IB schools, you know, this is the heart of, mm. of international mindedness. I don't think at this point that that's far enough. International mindedness needs to expand beyond that. We believe it's, we can have, you know, a UN style school where we respect each other's nationalities. Uh, I think we need to go beyond nationality. So if we're inclusive, are we inclusive of those who are neurodiverse? Do we really believe in um, bringing those with exceptionalities into our school community and mainstreaming uh, those children? In? So they're part of the norm, not that there are these other special locations and special um, circumstances, but they don't really count. They don't really get to be part of the game. And then there's, you know, as we've been talking about LGBTQ plus populations, is a school really ready to accept, um, for example, trans students in their school? Have they, have they created environments where they feel comfortable, welcome, and normalized? And, and that's really the most important piece of all. Can we create a school where you can be whoever you are and that is normalized? Most schools are not there yet. Most schools say we're not ready or our community is not ready. Um, I, I'm, I'm tired of that, that kind of statement that we're not ready. I was very honored this year to have a, a, a particular event in school where there was a teacher who was in a same-sex relationship. She's married and she just had a baby and she was bringing the baby around that day and, and showing some of the teachers her, her, her new son. And uh, she came across a third grade classroom and the third grade teacher said, hey, you know, we were just talking about families uh, when she walked in. And she said, we were talking that there's different types of families. There's families with uh, two moms and families with two dads and sometimes a grandparent and sometimes, um, you know, it's adopted parent. And she was kind of going through these um, this list. And there was a boy in that class with same-sex parents. Um, and this hasn't been the norm at my school that we've seen this. And the boy saw, you know, uh, the woman with the, um, her child, and he said, I have two moms. And, he, and she said, yeah, we're a two-mom family, too. And the, the, the smile on that boy's face that he was in a school where that can be a normal part of conversation, and he could be so proud as he was at that moment, and for that teacher to feel proud to know that there was a teacher in the school teaching about Families come in, in, you know, different shapes and sizes. Mm. It was just like this magical moment. And that's what I'm after. I want that to feel that way, no matter who you are. If you're a person of color, if you're a trans youth, if you're, um, you know, you're on the autism spectrum, that you feel you're just a normal part of everyday life. And wouldn't that be a wonderful place to be? 
what I, what's amazing to me is I look back at sort of the last 10 years and how so many schools have been so flexible, um, you know, and sometimes almost to a fault, we can so quickly say, okay, yes, we're going to go in this direction with educational technology. And so in certain situations, we can adapt quite quickly. But I do think what you're describing, um, you know, that slow, that slow, slow change. Um, and you're right, you know, I've heard the same phrase of, well, we're just not ready yet. And it's intriguing to me that sometimes we can jump without looking and other times we're willing to just wait <laughs> seemingly forever for change. And, it, and again, it's really hard. When I came into school, the school historically at one point, it's, it's 55 years old now. And when I came in and it used to be a British school at one point. So there were some traditions um, about, for example, whether or not a student should wear a hat or not. And some, some pieces of the dress code that was really targeted towards um, girls. And I remember thinking the first few weeks that, you know, students would walk into the school and people were like, take off your hat, take off your hat. Mm. Like, what kind of welcome is that to walk into the school? And then I had a, a young um, lady in grade 11 come to me and said, I heard you speaking about, you know, getting rid of the hat roll. And she said, you know, can we talk about the, the the student dress code for for girls she said you know i'm constantly you know uh people make comments you know i should need to cover that shoulder or cover my chest mm. or, or pieces like this and then i was just i was just mad at that point i thought oh my gosh i can't believe the school is policing these girls here in finland which you know again is a very progressive place and i went to the staff and i said that i was going to get rid of these these rules that, um, you know, rules about hats, I think exclude, you know, um, those, you know, other questions we might have to ask ourselves. Does a headscarf count as a hat? Does it, you know, a do-rag count as a hat? I don't have those questions. You know, let someone's culture to, to dictate if the hat comes off or not. And they can decide when they walk into that door how they feel about it. And I didn't want to be in a world where, where girls were being slut-shamed or um, policed for what they were wearing. And I, I made a move very quickly, which was maybe, maybe not the smartest of moves. I don't know. Sometimes when you're a new head of school, um, you're not sure how it's going to play out. But I was just, at that point, I thought, you know what, I'm just going to say we're not doing it more. And, you know, part of leadership, uh, sometimes you have to put yourself out there knowing that you're going to upset people. And, and that's a hard place to be to be in a school for a month, you just arrived, <laughs> and you're, you're, you're throwing away what people see as traditions of respect, um, where, where I felt that, again, we're, we are in a world where oftentimes I need to protect the lives of young people, and my values said that is not showing respect to students, and I needed to take action on that. I'm so happy that you mentioned that idea of being willing to upset or ruffle some feathers. Um, you know, and I, uh, you know, you've experienced this as a as a head of school in ways that other educators might never. But having that uh, capacity to be willing to do that, and then the additional layer that you are one of the very very few female heads of schools. Um, you know, where some might say, like, it's upsetting for you to be there, let alone even do anything. I'm wondering, <laughs> for someone who's, you know, aspiring to go into leadership, 
and they are are worried about you know that that very human fear of like I am gonna have to disappoint some people or if I really want to lead in a way that's true to my values it's going to be confronting to others and I'm, I'm going to have to deal with that. What is one piece of advice that you might have for aspiring leaders that are thinking to themselves, I don't know that I would be um, able to do that or I don't know how to learn to be able to do that? Some of the work I do with young leaders is, is, is especially around this question. And I think if you have a vision for education that is that is um, really speaks to your authentic self, then this needs to come forward. But there, there, is, playing, there is a playing of the game part of this. And um, when I say playing the games, you have to be able to get into a position of leadership to, to make change. And this, the pathway for this is, is fraught with all sorts of you know, issues. Um, what I say is that I don't, you know, most of the times I'm, I'm a pretty amiable person. I, I let um, new initiatives come through um, with people who you've created rationales for it and are ready to enact. Um, I don't say no to many things, but sometimes you have to understand where your lines in the sand really are. And when people understand your true values and you have to be able to speak to those, then, then they know um, when they have to maybe adjust to you. Um, if you were to hear me speak over and over again, I, I talk about um, the well-being of young people and having compassion for young people. And if there's something that I see that is truly, again, um, against the well-being of youth, then I, I have to say something. I have to find my voice. And we can say things in, in ways that don't necessarily anger someone. I can say, this is my view. And I, I can speak passionately about that. And, um, and not necessarily in angry terms, but in ways that I can hope that I can convince people of my argument. So being willi willing to debate somebody and, and not kind of lose your cool doing that, um, I think it's an important skill to learn. Um, so I don't need to put someone down to put my view across. Um, and so I think that's, that's one lesson to learn. I think some of it is about um, being able to connect emotionally with others. And this is through storytelling. And I think if, if you're, you're aiming towards leadership, you need to tell the story of your life and you have to be vulnerable in that so that people will connect universally to what you have gone through and the hardships you've overcome and how you've overcome those. And, you know, much of leadership, I often say, is not about saying, I want to be a leader. It's about saying, I want to help to make a difference. And if you really truly believe you want to make a difference in the lives of students, um, then you're going to work really hard towards that. And one day, someone's going to notice that and say, you know, I really see your diligence and I'd like to see you um, have more responsibility. And my whole career has been this. I've never said, oh, I can't wait to be a leader of a school. I was a history teacher for uh, 18 years before my first position of maybe true leadership. Um, and it was not 
um, something I sought, just something I fell into uh, over and over again. And I think, you know, if anybody is kind of stalking you online, they won't be able to avoid uh, finding the videos where you are kind of leading that way of, of how to go about making a difference. I really appreciate one of your clips that I'll, I'll keep in the show notes just about how important the skill of public speaking is uh, and, and working on that as a leader. I'm wondering um, for our listeners who would love to learn more about you, I, I know that you've written a number of articles, but if you could pick maybe just one or two things that um, you wish more educators would give some think time to, uh, are there any, are there one or two resources that, that you would recommend? Sure, if you want to learn more about Kathleen's leadership style or vision for, for the future of education, go here. <sighs> that's, a, that's a good question. I think I think a lot of what I'm talking about is in the literature of those who teach in special needs and those who are in the fields of um, social emotional well-being. Oftentimes, when you look at how to be a leader, it, the sources that we we look at traditional um, studies on leadership, or um, you know, if you look at the courses for universities. They're often about school law and finances, and um, they're, they're missing the main focus, which are the kids. <laughs> and how do we make the lives of kids better? So I think if you're, if you're digging into that literature, I think you, you can see maybe what I've seen for a long time. And most of my educational experience was in um, impoverished areas. Uh, in America. I started out my career in New Mexico, mainly with Navajo youth. Uh, and then I was in, at one point, in Southern urban California um, with, you know, a, a really kind of iconic California dangerous kind of school. I used to say, felt like some days guns, drugs, and helicopters. Mm -hmm. And I also taught the rural poor of West Virginia. And what I've seen through those experiences is that I could work with young people who had very difficult backgrounds. And if you gave them your time and you gave them your love and energy and you helped them play the game that is preventing them from getting to university or finding a good job, if you could be that person, you could show them a path in the darkness of their lives, you can make a huge amount of difference and i've i've taken what i'd learned from those areas and putting that in, a, in an international school and then i think you can take it to a level that with the resources that i never had in those other schools to a new level of uh again i have this dream of a school where belonging where where those who feel um as outsiders in other place finally found their home um, the Island of Misfit Toys is the school I dream of.